Tabletops will start after the following messages. Are you looking for something comfortable to wear and keep your brain warm while playing tabletop games? Daily Dose of Yarn makes handmade, customized beanies for all of your style and comfort needs. She can even help you with a custom beanie to represent your favorite character. Check out Daily Dose of Yarn on Instagram and Etsy to order your new favorite beanie today. Welcome back to another episode of Tabletop. Today we have a really great guest. Basil Wright is a writer, translator, TTRPG designer, and sensitivity consultant in the game space. They work with authors and designers as a consultant and are also working on long-term projects like the translation by hand of the Odyssey into African-American vernacular English. Basil Wright, welcome to Tabletop. Hey, Nick, happy to be here, very excited. <laughs> Yeah, I am too. It's so great to have you. Um, just to start us off, uh, for those who don't know what a, a sensitivity reader or consultant is, uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do and what kind of services you offer? Yeah, certainly. So as a sensitivity reader slash consultant, what I do is uh, clients reach out to me saying that, you know, I have this piece that I'm working on. It could be, you know, um, like a D&D adventure, it could be a novel. Uh, I've done a few picture books, those are always fun. Um, <laughs> I've been getting more for like uh, children's books, it's really cute and really heartwarming to see as well. You know, the That's dedication awesome. to inclusivity and trying to make things, you know, as sensitive as possible. So basically, right. the client reaches out to me saying, Hey, I have this piece, can you review it based off these areas? Um, on my website, I have my areas of expertise listed, but there are also areas that aren't listed that I also do cover, but I didn't want to overload the website. So I always tell people, you know, <laughs> even if you think that maybe, you know, this won't work out, still email me because I might also know someone else who is really good in that area. So Amazing, they send me, yeah. they send me their work. I look it over. Um, and sometimes when I look over a piece, there's, you know, there's nothing, there's no recommendations for change. They've done everything that I would have recommended. It looks great. Sometimes when I look over a piece, you know, I point out, oh, hey, actually, you've somehow accidentally recreated colonialism. And I know that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you, you've done a colonialism <laughs> and that's, that's not, I don't think that's your intent. And they were like, oh gosh, no. And so I was like, okay, well, here are some steps to not have colonialism based off of everything else you have going on or just, you know, um, sort of things like, okay, well, you shouldn't use that phrasing. Or I had one piece where I was like, well, this, this is a black woman. She wouldn't go to bed with her hair like that. And, mm. and also because her hair, you know, is in this style, you can't, you wouldn't be brushing it in the morning. You would just be touching up the edges, applying maybe some products. So just sort of pointing out some areas where you know some changes could be made um i usually depending on whether someone has uh hired me for just like a brief overview just sort of hey am i going in the right direction versus hey really go through this piece um right. i also include you know links to resources and guides and um other uh, documents of that variety to help point them in the right direction or suggestions of things to read up on 
Um, I know probably some people think that like, oh, well, if you're a sensitivity reader, you just look at a thing and go, this is bad, and then, you're, and then you send <laughs> it back and you're done. But there's actually yeah. a lot of work that goes into it. I spend a lot of hours taking the time to find resources to document, you know, well, why does this need to be changed? Even if sometimes when it comes down to it, it's just, well, from my personal experience, you know, as a queer person, as a black person, as a neurodivergent person, as a disabled person, this mm-hmm. wouldn't actually track because reasons... Or sometimes it's, you know, if it's like, uh, if it's like sort of like a, a fantasy element, you know, uh, to a certain degree, I will look at a work and say, well, within the lore that you've created and the internal logic, you know, this doesn't actually make sense. And this actually has now created, you know, a sort of like racist or a negative element. And I would recommend, you know, moving away from that. That sort of edges a little bit into developmental editor territory, which I don't do. But if it still stays within, you know, the areas that I have been hired for, or at least the areas that I know that I have that expertise in, I will at least point out. And I have at times recommended, you know, okay, this section doesn't actually need a sensitivity reader. What you need is a developmental editor. And then pointing them to a few databases where these editors can be found. So I do at least, you know, I I do try to help people out as much as I can. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like you really do a a huge breadth of work too. everything from um, uh, societal or systemic uh, reading to cultural and sort of day to day sort of activities that uh, you have insight into. Um, It seems like it'd be like super valuable, especially for TTRPGs and game design. Like one of the questions that was really burning in my mind, because I've been thinking a lot about it recently, is that D&D, which is sort of the the most popular of these games, does have a lot of uh, history with kind of Tolkien-esque tropes and fantasy tropes that are kind of based on prejudices. And there's been a lot of discourse around that with uh, the new release of uh, products. Um, is there is there any sort of insight or advice you have for someone who's making their own homebrew setting to try to really uh, consider when they're trying to build this sort of floor and stay away from some of those more problematic tropes? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, when making your own sort of homebrew, which is, you know, um, as an aside to something I also do outside of all that as a tabletop RPG writer myself, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, definitely... Uh, reach out to, you know, your community, to your friends. Um, hopefully, you know, it's 2022. You don't have a completely homogenized set of friends <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you Fingers crossed. To, yeah, <laughs> to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I'm working on this. What do you think? Like, I think like what's really beneficial is if those friends, you know, in your community is willing, getting another pair of eyes on your setting. Um, I think at this point, most of us know that we really should not be reproducing, you know, bioessentialism, saying that, oh, because you're an elf, you can, I don't know, disappear into the trees and knowing (laughs) your stealth is this many points, you know, sort of things that are weirdly inherent because you're an elf or a dwarf or a gnome or what have you. And just, uh, you know, definitely, I think like... um, I know I, I saw a tweet recently where someone was talking about how your own writing improves the more you read. And that that definitely is, you know, a step. Um, you know, libraries are available. If you can't purchase <laughs> all the books yeah. that you want, you can, you know, read up on various areas, not just, you know, not just D&D, not just Pathfinder, not just, you know, tabletop RPGs. Read, you know, um read, you know, academic articles, read books that have been put out about, you know, the issues of racism, transphobia, 
uh, homophobia, you know, what mm-hmm. we can do, how to move into an anti-carceral state, that sort of thing, you know, really try to read up on, you know, the world around you. And I think that'll inform, especially if you're doing world building and starting from scratch, you know, and it's, um, as plenty of people of, of color have said previously, mm-hmm. you know, when you're making a fantasy setting, you don't have to put racism in it. You don't have to put, you know, all the isms in it. It could it could just be a world where everyone, you know, gets along or maybe the biggest <laughs> issue is just trade. You know, this country yeah. is hogging all the resource because they want the monopoly. But even then, it's like you could make us you could make a world where there's no capitalism. So it's just, you know, just I think also like thinking critically about what you're making is important. Like take a moment after you've written something, give it a few days to rest, look at it again and then think, you know, are there any sort of biases that I've accidentally put into this work? You know, you know, again, have I done a colonialism? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oops, I've done a colonialism. (laughs) Um, One thing that I've always um, it's one thing that I personally have thought about because I like you said, when I try to create a setting or am I, I'm authoring some experience for a group that I'm running for, I really try to, to remove the things that might be triggering to a, uh, a party member who has gone through something that I don't have as much of an insight into and try to remove, like you said, the isms from a game uh, so that people can kind of enjoy in a much freer way. But I've also always thought like there's been a conflict within me of is this sort of denying the experience of folks at my table? And is this something that I'm actually sort of, you know, whitewashing um, sort of experiences by doing that? Do you have any sort of insight into um, that sort of, uh, I guess, thought that I had when, uh, when, when it comes to like game design and storytelling? Yeah, so actually just recently I read an excellent article by uh, Tanya DePass, Cypher of Tear on Twitter, who I recommend everyone should follow. She's amazing. Um, that was actually talking about this exact subject, so I don't want to, I definitely do not want to paraphrase or co-opt what she was saying, but just sure. it was the sense that, you know, again, this isn't the sort of thing that has to be at the table. Um, I generally speaking i have i don't think i've ever heard of a situation where someone was really chomping at the bit to really have (laughs) you know like yeah it's like yeah let's put let's put racism in here or you know violence against minorities or children or women or something you know i don't think it's like depriving anyone of like that opportunity though it is always fun to dunk on like nazis and racists and be like (laughs) you suck and you know in this game, we that. exclusively punch Nazis. Yes. <laughs> I have designed this NPC for the sole purpose of being dunked on. It is Lord Dunkington. Yeah. Please dunk harder on him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so I would say, like, I don't think anyone's being deprived of it. I think it's a conversation probably to have, like, with your table saying, hey, do you guys want this in here? Because if not, by default, you know, I don't put this in here and, um, you know, there is a part in uh, Tanya's article where she talks about how, um, you know, ultimately, you know, depending on, you know, if you, especially if you're a white person, you know, you're not yeah. going to like really, you know, you're definitely not going to fix racism by having this in your game. But you're, you yeah. know, you may, you may not also like be able to really move the needle for like the group. Especially because if, 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 if playing an RPG, like a, if playing a role-playing game is what gets you to finally realize in 2022 that like people of <laughs> color are people, that's a, yeah, that's a right. different conversation and some, 
So you need to do some hard thinking about why it took <laughs> to this point, you know, why it took media for you to realize, especially if you're, you know, especially if you're a grown adult, if you're a child, that's one thing. I think you, right. I think there probably is an argument to be made about, you know, gently coaxing like younger kids into like role playing games so that they can have like a, like a space to be able to explore themselves in the medium and everything. But like, yeah. if you're, you know, if it's you and your friends and you're all in your thirties, like, how did you get to this point? And you're like, actually, you're right. They are people. And it's like, mm, I don't think we're going to invite them back. Yeah. yeah maybe we, maybe <laughs> Except, we slowly end that uh, Roll20 invitation. <laughs> yeah. And have a maybe, maybe if you're close enough, have a separate conversation of, hey, that's that you said some kind of odd stuff. Why did it take to <laughs> to this point? Yeah, that's really insightful. I, I think I, like I totally agree because um, I have a friend uh both of us are, have a theater background and we were talking about this subject and eventually he was just like, yeah, but if you're really trying to, to bring a lot of these sort of um, really hard traumatic uh, parts of real life into these games, then what you're really doing is making like a, an interactive theater piece rather than like a, a role playing game to enjoy with your friends. Um, so I think that that's like uh, really interesting and I definitely will go check out that article. It sounds like everybody should. So <laughs> One thing I would also love to talk to you about um, is, uh, you know, we've talked uh, a lot about um, how your experience as a sensitivity consultant uh, kind of gives you kind of a broad um, view on on different pieces of media that that come to you. But how does that change your relationship with game writing and playing? Um, you know, I will say in terms of game writing, I think I am a bit more aware of like when I'm writing things. I'm thinking of like when um, every so often I write adventures that have a horror theme to them. And so when you're writing horror, you have to consider like, okay, you know, yes, on the one hand, it should be spooky. But on the other mm -hmm. hand, you definitely don't want to, you know, reintroduce or like reproduce concepts that are harmful. There was... Mm -hmm. um, recently a, t a tweet by Imani Barberin. Uh, I follow so many great people on Twitter. She's amazing. <laughs> also follow her. Uh, yeah. Talking about how people were going to um, the Amherst uh, Mental Institution to stay the night, like some kind of exhibit, like it was like going to the carnival. And, yeah. you know, and, and it has been, you know, in games, I'm thinking like, uh, <laughs> Like Call of Cthulhu, I don't know why my brain wanted to say Mysterium, that's the wrong game, but like Call of Cthulhu and like games that have like that whole sort of madness mechanic and you know there's been some great dialogue about how do you reconcile with that, how do you work with that and you know mm -hmm. my own personal opinion is honestly I don't think you need to make a game where like madness is a stat that's weird. I'm working on a yeah. game now where sleepiness is a stat and like that's... <laughs> you have options is yeah. my point. Like when you're designing a game you know there's no... There's no looming shadowy presence behind you demanding that you put this in here. I mean, unless you've made some yeah. kind of weird Faustian deal, in which case, you know, that that's rough, buddy. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one, no one is forcing, you know, your hands to the keyboard, making you recreate things. You know, every so often in the, in the tabletop RPG sphere, there's some main character of the day where it's like, oh, they've redone bioessentialism or talking mm -hmm. about race science or something. And I'm sure at some point I'm going to find someone talking about the shape of dwarf skulls or something weird. <laughs> yeah. Like this, uh, the dwarf phrenologists are really yes. up and coming. <laughs> <laughs> just, just real strange behavior. And it's just, 
you know, I think, like, in terms of my own writing, I'm always like, okay, you know, well, actually, wait, I think I've, you know, I've taken a misstep, maybe I should go back and look at this again, you know, because everyone has their own unconscious and conscious biases and mm-hmm. things because we live in a society and we've grown up, you know, with different viewpoints being presented to us, especially in America and, you know, especially... There's also, you know, some internalized issues, you know, I'm black and Native American, so having to mm-hmm. deal with all of that and making sure that, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. definitely not, you know, I'm, I would say that I'm more mindful about those issues, but then sometimes just because you're just not aware of, or even just because you're not a part of that community, you know, realizing that, oh, actually, this is, this is harmful, and I think also just, again, getting that feedback from others, being able to reach out to other people, because they can point out, hey, actually, you know, you might not be aware, but culturally, this is this, and it's like, oh, okay, which is why I'm always advocating, like, if you're making something, if you're writing something, you know, get a consultant, find one, Um, you might be lucky, some consultants, depending on what you're doing, might work at a reduced rate, uh, some, and I, I'm not advocating for this, but some might work for free depending on what the situation is. Yeah. You know, if the right opportunity came along and if it was like, you know, for a good cause, you know, I've definitely done reduced rates. Uh, you know, I've reviewed things for friends on sort of like yeah. a trade basis where it's like, I'll look at this if you look at that, and, you know, that sort of thing. But there's also a limit on that. You don't want to overtax someone. You know, it's one thing to ask someone, hey, can you look over a couple of pages of my comic to make sure I've done this person's hair correctly versus, hey, can you look at my 200 page RPG (laughs) and review it for these issues for free and it's and 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 return it within a week and a half. And it's like, no, not we need to discuss monetary compensation at that point. Yeah, just as a general note, as uh, a fellow kind of consultant-ish person, as an actor and an artist, like pay people when they do work for yeah. you. <laughs> on time and in full. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, one thing that I saw on Twitter recently that really kind of blew my mind was that, um, and this isn't, I guess, uh, for you to comment on just uh, as a, a crazy thing for everyone to be aware of that's out there. And if if you are a player at these tables, then feel free to leave them. Um, but there was a, a DM who treated a character whose strength stat was higher, but who was uh, playing a female character as being weaker than a man character that had a lower strength stat. So it was like this whole like issue with the the bias of the DM and like these things really manifest themselves in these games because a lot of the time we are kind of projecting the worlds that we see or the way we see the world in our minds out into these fantasy concepts. So it's uh it's always really it's hard. So don't put yourself in that situation. Um but one thing I I really latched on to what when you were saying was like horror as a genre. Um it's something that I'm super fascinated with. I love um, that's like creating that sense of dread. I find it a really great way to uh, to engage with your your group because everyone kind of leans in in those kind of scary situations or trying to grasp that information that they're trying to figure out. Um, but like you said, it's sort of a, a genre rife for missteps. Is there any sort of um, advice you can give people when they're trying to create in that genre specifically? Yeah, um, I will say with the caveat that though I can write horror and I do write horror an astonishing amount, uh, my work, I prefer to write more joyful, happy, cozy things. Sure. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I'm really good at writing horror. I think it's yeah. it's one of those things where it's, um, 
You know, it's like that episode of Ed and Eddie where Double D is really good at playing, you know, that instrument, the, oh gosh, what is it, like the steel <laughs> guitar or something? Yeah. And, but he hates it. It's like, it's like, it's not that I hate horror, but it's just like, this is a skill I have, but <laughs> I'd rather write about something a little cozier. <laughs> but, um, so I would say, you know, definitely at this point, there are resources out there. I think if you Google, like, you know, uh, how to write horror or even just like, you know, horror stereotypes, like definitely countless people have talked about it. You know, the main ones are like, don't, you know, portray mental illness in a negative way. You know, don't set your game in, you know, a mental institution if you're not going to treat it with respect. Yeah. Um, you know, just sort of, you know, avoiding certain ableist language and terms. Um, that's, you know, sometimes that is something I do point out because other people aren't aware. Or even just sometimes it's, you know, English is not their first language. So they may be fully aware that in their language, you know, you don't say these terms. But because you see them in media, you see people on the Internet using it all the time. You think, oh, OK, well, then this this is the equivalent of this term that I know in my native tongue. And then it's like, no, actually. And they're like, you know, I've never I've never had. I've never had a person, at least with ableist language, be like, well, actually, I want to keep it in. You know, mm. there, I, I have had, like, once someone who asked for, you know, a, a sensitivity reading and then proceeded to argue on every single point that I made. And Ugh. at that point, I was just like, well, you know, you paid the money. So if you want to, you spent, you know, X amount of money just to argue with someone. And, yeah, you know, right. ultimately, I'm not going to read whatever that is. So, yeah, but... And, you know, it's definitely there are resources out there. There are people you can reach out to. I think if you, like, the main thing, especially when it comes to horror, is, like, to operate from, like, you know, a place of good faith. Like, if you ask on Twitter, hey, you know, I'm trying to write about X or I'm working on something and, you know, does anyone have any resources about this? You know, generally speaking, human beings are kind and wanting to help. They'll yeah. give you resources. You know, where it becomes <laughs> a problem is where, like, you read all the sources you do all the stuff and then you decide I'm going to keep it in anyway, or just don't even do any of that. Like that one website that did a review of prey and was like, we're going to keep this offensive anti-indigenous uh. words still in the article, even though we've done, we've been informed that it's, you know, bad. And it's like, okay, so you just, you just decided, you know, it's like we investigated ourselves and found ourselves, you know, <laughs> innocent of all wrongdoing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, actually you know you need to engage with people where they're at you know and especially you know if people give you resources and it's just you know a bunch of books to read if you can you know take the time to read at least some of them a lot of books mm. are available online a lot of books some books have been summarized um if books aren't your thing there have been plenty of youtube videos of people analyzing horror what works what doesn't the sense of dread uh, watching modern horror can help. Mm. I don't watch horror movies. They give me the creeps also because I have a blood phobia. <laughs> so all that gore is like, no, thank yeah. you. But, you know, uh, Nope recently came out and that's, I don't know if you call that a horror, maybe a thriller. It's kind of horror. Horror yeah. thriller-esque. You know, that sort of sense of like, well, what's going on? You know, what's so creepy about it? The dread. One thing um, I do actually watch, though, is a lot of survival horror, and I think survival mm. horror really touches on things, especially because they're video games, um, really touches on some areas that, like, you can work on if you're writing in the horror genre. You know, early mm. Resident Evil, uh, 
or even, you know, Resident Evil Village, I think, was, like, a return to formula. I mean, I love Resident Evil 5, but we all know that, yeah. like, there's not much horror in punching a boulder <laughs> and <laughs> fighting a guy yeah. on a volcano. But that sort of... <laughs> The lingering dread, especially thinking of Resident Evil 8, you know, the dread of um, being in this village, not knowing what's going on, seeing traces that something has happened here, you know. Yeah. And I think also with horror, there also needs to be moments of humanity where you meet people, there's that hope, maybe that hope flourishes, maybe that hope dies. You know, I'm thinking of like, you know, spoilers, I guess, for anyone who hasn't, you know, done the early part of Resident Evil 8, but like when... <laughs> Ethan meets the survivors and they're in the house and everyone gets body but the last chick and he's trying to save her but you know it's yeah. also this moment of dread because you know logically you would think we need to get out of this building it's on fire we need to go but for that character it's her father who's been turned into a werewolf zombie I'm not exactly sure what the deal is when they transform but basically <laughs> turned into a werewolf and she's trying to reason with him and yeah. Ethan's like no we have to go and unfortunately due to her hesitation she doesn't you know, climb up fast enough and he's holding on to her and ends up, you know, she ends up dying and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, there's also a bit of tragedy, I think, with horror, but like, with that sort of tragedy, it didn't feel harmful or schlocky, it just felt like, well, this was a natural consequence, because, you know, from, you know, a humanity standpoint, you know, how are you gonna leave your dad behind, you know, this is your dad, even if he's yeah. changed, maybe, maybe we can find a cure, <laughs> maybe we can keep yeah. him locked up in a <laughs> cellar until we find a cure, something, or maybe he'll Maybe he'll pull a Wesker and overcome and just be my new werewolf dad. So, <laughs> And that's like the best scenario even yeah. just in like normal life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I just, I thought it was interesting as like, but you know, there's also in terms of horror, like in general, I know I'm talking a lot about Resident Evil and I'm sorry, but I was just thinking no, about it totally. compared to Seven where, you know, I watched someone play it with, I was watching with me and my sister, we watched someone play it and he was mm -hmm. fine. But you know, the story and the gameplay of RE7 just... My suspension of disbelief just pretty quickly went out the window because Ethan is just, he's kind of a doofus. You know, he's, yeah. hes I mean, and it makes sense. He's an everyman, supposedly, you know, trying to find his wife. But, you know, there's, um, one, I follow, um, I'm subscribed to a YouTuber, Corey Kenshin, and he's, uh, he's a black oh, man. He's so good. He's so great. <laughs> he's so good. And so one of the yeah. things though that Corey usually points out is, you know, this is not a thing that a black person would do. And there's like yeah. a lot of scenarios and I think that's also something to consider when you write horror is sometimes, you know, just to the, due to the nature of horror and how media has done, you also have to ask yourself, is this something someone who is not white would do? Because I've seen <laughs> some excellent horror where it's like, you know, I think the best horror is where you don't find yourself thinking, boy, this is something only a white person would do. Instead yeah. being like, well, no, this is something anyone would do. And it's not the best of ideas, but it makes sense why you're doing it. But Ethan just kind of continually stumbles into traps and touch <laughs> things he shouldn't, even things yeah. that are very clearly traps. I believe there's a scene also where like it's very clear if you turn if you tilt the camera down, there's like a bear trap on the ground and he still walks into it. And it's just so bizarre. It's like the man has no self-preservation or self-awareness to where it took me out of the horror and I found myself wishing that I was back in Resident Evil 5 punching that boulder instead of watching this guy kind of just sort of haphazardly crash through the setting and survive, but it's just, 
was very, very strange. Contrast that to eight, where it's like less goofy, and the goofiest thing was like him getting his hand cut off, and then he reattached yeah. it with some salve, <laughs> which I was like, um, uh, okay, that's not how that works. Yeah, I was like, that's, <laughs> well, all right, you know, it was actually kind of funny. It just reminded me of like, oh yeah, no, just put some Windex on it, or just you know, yeah. put this on, it and you'll be fine. And it's like, I think we're gonna need something though. A little stronger than aloe, because that was my family thing. It's like, oh, what's that? You're, you're in pain? Let's just put a little aloe on it. You'll be fine. Go out to the backyard. Go get the plant. And <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah. just like you have, to, it's a fine line between balancing, you know, something that's spooky and you know the dread in the sense of um, the actions that people would take with like you know the suspension of disbelief. Because I think especially with horror, people are willing to suspend you know, their disbelief for a lot, because, you know, you've got werewolves, vampires, ghosts, hauntings, possessions, aliens, all sorts of things that, you know, aren't real, but we're like, you know, I'm here with you in this space, in this fiction, I'm, you know, ready to do this, and ready to watch or enjoy or play, but then, you know, sometimes, like, I think, like, especially with horror, like, you should not have the people, you you should not have your audience think, why haven't they left? Right. One of the things that I think survival (laughs) horror does really good is, like, why haven't they left? Oh, the door disappeared, or the door is locked, or they're looking for their sister, or they're yeah. trapped, or they've been, you know, knocked unconscious or something, and they need to find all these keys. Like, there has to be, like, a reason, but, like, if, especially if it's, like, oh, I'm thinking of, like, the first fatal frame, where, to mm-hmm. some degree, it makes sense why she's lo- why she's there, and why she can't leave, she's looking for her brother. But on the other right. hand, when you, when you extrapolate that outwards, it's, like, well, why did the brother go? Oh, he was looking for his professor. Okay, but for me personally, that's not a strong enough tie, especially in yeah. a place where the locals have said people have gone missing consistently. Like, I just yeah. would not have gone. But it wasn't enough for me to be like, okay, I'm no longer interested in this game. It's just, yes. well, this was a poor decision, but as you you know go through the game, you learn about her brother's personality and the kind of person he is, so you're like, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense why he went in here after his professor, even if this was clearly a horrible idea. Yeah, I think that it's so interesting uh, what you said, where it has to, you have to sort of show the the moments of humanity, and I totally agree with that. I think that what makes horror really successful, especially in interactive fiction, is the desire of the player to seek out those really nice hu- moments of humanity and that feeling of sort of like overcome. Um, and like the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is usually like, hey, I get to reunite with my family, like in the case of Fatal Frame. Um, or in uh, Resident Evil 8, it's sort of like, I have to like reunite with my daughter and make sure that she's okay. And it's like a really actually like a very positive emotional impulse that we have as uh, as humans uh so i think that that is so right that you have to really center your your experience around a positive desired outcome and then you just throw a bunch of obstacles <laughs> but uh, another thing that i'm really interested uh to talk to you about um is sort of your experience uh like playing all of these games and reading all of this media um, the, the community in a lot of the, like, video games and TTR, TTRPG spaces specifically have really, for a long time, been dominated by white men. <clears throat> and do you see that changing, especially now, like you were mentioning, a lot of people who are writing a lot of uh, thought pieces about this, and a lot of people like yourself in the industry now. Like, what excites you about the future of game design, and, like, what do you see changing? 
Yeah, so I would say that um, I think it's I think it's twofold. I do think that the environment for you know games for tabletop RPGs, I do think that it's changing. It definitely is more of us. You know, we have been here, we being you know marginalized identities, and we will continue to be here and continue to make games. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think also you know it's also been born out of you know for a while there were just a bunch of crotchety people who were just like, well, <laughs> I don't want you know, or like the people who are constantly whining about the combat wheelchair, and they're like, I don't want that in my game, and I don't know yeah. why this exists, and you know, why don't you just make your own game, and then. Mm. You know, like, people of color have been saying for ages, we do make our own stuff, but then they're just like, I still don't like it. And it's like, not everything is for you, but this could be yeah. for you if you would, you know, let your shriveled little heart get a little more blood into it and <laughs> open yourself up to yeah. new opportunities. So I think, you know, there's, you know, I'm in plenty of servers that are POC only, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's nice to have those spaces where, you know, I don't have to worry about, oh, okay, you know, I can talk about this and not have a bunch of white people asking me to clarify or asking me what that means or you know i can just have the server and be like hey once again i've had to tell someone to not say this anti-indigenous term Uh, and (laughs) they're like yeah i get that that's weird like (laughs) i made a tweet about it semi-recently where i'm just like hey please stop saying the name of the enemy from until dawn it's bad it's bad (laughs) <laughs> and most of the time people are like, oops, my bad, I'll just fix yeah. that. But I've also, outside of where that incident happened, but also just like on Twitter and in places in general, I've had some weird pushback. And it's like, mm. are you being paid by some shadowy conglomerate to, Are you like, do they pay you $1,000 every time you say it? Like, what? Yeah. what is the resistance? Like, it's just, it's a little mind boggling of just being like a simple, requ- it'd be like a simple request of, hey, don't kick me in the shins. And they're like, no, I'm going to kick you even harder because you <laughs> said not to, it's like, but you're hurting me. And it's like, yeah. I don't care. And, like, and I think that's yeah. what it comes down to for at least some group. But I think, you know, overall, I also have seen like a lot of, um, you know, white game creators being open to having, you know, more. Uh, marginalized identities like you know on their teams developing Mm -hmm. more things people reaching out for consultants more um Mm. being mindful and you know some people also just being like this would be a really interesting thing to do i'm not going to do it because it you know it's not my identity but you know i'm putting this thought out here in the world for others to take up if that's what they want and i'll support you and use you know my influence to help boost this and i think that is definitely one of the ways that you know white people especially can be supportive you know there yeah. are so many people of color game creators and editors and writers and producers and everything you know if you're looking for places to check out you know uh utopia they do a lot of great actual play podcasts you know we're always put people are always putting out games i've put out a couple of games I'm, gonna put another one out later in just a little bit but um (laughs) we'll definitely come back to that in a second (laughs) yeah but um you know there's there's uh utopia there's um we need diverse games you know conversely we need diverse books uh Mm -hmm. just sort of reaching out to those uh areas and find you know they're out there like it's and it's not that hard to find them it's just, you know, yeah. if you don't want to put in the work. But I think definitely the landscape has changed. Um, you know, there's the I am POC and play tag, and you get to see so many different um, creators making wonderful, excellent things. I think yeah. also, you know, as a sign that, like, things are changing, 
uh, I think it's the sequel to uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, yeah. the sequel of that, and they had a black character, and for once her hair actually looked like braids. Because yeah. the thing that black people have complained about for ages is yeah. our hair does not be looking right in these video games. <laughs> or the only option you have is like either shaved head afro and horrible clumpy dumpy braids. And it's like, oh, you know, you actually did get, you know, some black people to work on this, to look at it, to make it look right. Like pretty much like a like a guaranteed way to make your game more interesting is to actually yeah. have more non-white hairstyles um for real i mean like uh, i recently played all the way through or most of the way through it's a very long game elden ring and there's only like one hairstyle that is sort of uh like a a, a black hairstyle and it is not a flattering one <laughs> yeah that's and i was like come on man that sucks <laughs> Like, that's the thing, too. It's like you have, like, this, you know, AAA budget, but you just decided not to. But there's, like, 50, 11 styles of, like, long hair or, like, ponytails mm -hmm. or, like, half-shaved, undershaved, you know, just sort of. But it's like, okay, but where where are my locks? Where are my twist-outs? Yeah. Where are my, you know, afro puffs? Not an afro, but, like, afro puffs, you know, mm -hmm. where's all of this and that? And where's the option to put this on or take this off or change this? Or even just at the basic, why... You know, like, especially in a lot of games still, and I think this is something that, like, you know, game devs need to be mindful of and work on. Why, why do the people be looking so ashy, though? It's like, oh, yeah, no, we've got a, we've got a skin tone selector. You can, you can make your, you know, dark skin character. And it's like, no, I can't, because I don't know what you did, but I look like I've been rolling around in dust or dirt, looking like yeah. some kind of weird sort of zombie, but not quite right. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, no, but we did it. Isn't that great? And it's like, no, <laughs> please fix yeah. this. Like, actually, yeah. you know, like the like a lot of tweets usually say it's like, have you looked at a black person? Have you taken photos of a black person? <laughs> like, that's like there are so many resources out there and guides and just even just stock free, you know, photos of people of color that you could look at to make sure that yeah. you're not accidentally you know creating problems and i think you know sometimes there have been game devs who were like actually yes i messed up and i'm sorry and mm -hmm. i want to fix this and you know please help me because yeah. clearly i don't i don't know how to fix this and i've been trying for like eight hours and i think i think <laughs> like you know having that humility and being honest is you know beneficial like admit like you know especially you know when you're in your 20s and stuff i'm 30 now but when you're in your 20s there's this fear of not wanting to admit you don't know something because you don't want to look mm -hmm you know, uninformed or anything. And so you just kind of fake it till you make it, but there are some things you can't really fake like that. And so yeah. I think as you get older, you get more comfortable with the fact what you're saying, you know, I don't know, or this is not an area I'm familiar in, but I want to learn. All right, well, as we come to the end here, I wanted to ask you uh, maybe the most important thing, what are you working on? You are a game dev as, lo as well as being a consultant and reader for other folks' games. So what, what are the things that you're working on? Yeah, so I'm actually working on a, a number of projects um, in the most uh, relevant as we approach the uh, spooky season in the spooky month of October <laughs> is that uh, my latest game, Pelogos, uh, is ready for playtesting. Pelogos is a game about grief, death, and the afterlife where you play as a lantern keeper uh, who travels into the sea of dreams in order to encounter sea ghosts. 
Lantern Keepers are basically like underwater paranormal investigators. So very spooky, very kind of creepy or underwater, <laughs> that sort of thing. That's amazing. So um, I've been getting a lot of good feedback. So shout out to all the people who've been helping me with that. And it, the reception to Pelogos has honestly been so surprising because, you know, as I said, I don't really do horror, but this just kind of developed as a sort of like way for me to sort of process my own grief and you know the loss of my mother and everything and also my unending fear of deep water the ocean and what dwells in there <laughs> because <laughs> yeah no it's a, it's a really it's a real fear the uh i feel like every time i'm out uh in any it, it doesn't even have to be like the ocean or whatever anytime i just cannot see the bottom of whatever thing of water i'm in i'm like there is absolutely something underneath me that's about just to like swallow me up. definitely <laughs> definitely especially because yeah. recently i saw uh, a tweet about how deep in the pelagic zone they encountered a fish with a translucent head and i was just like well we could just Ugh. we could just leave that where we found it and then not go back <laughs> to the and like yeah we, we don't let's just not touch yeah <laughs> although part of me was like i wonder if it's good eats would it taste good <laughs> Yeah, it's like, ooh, I, I I, just, it's like the classic human thing of like, yeah, that's scary, but like, what if I put it in my mouth just a little bit? Yeah. Just, <laughs> See if it's tasty. Just, just a little bit. But yes, that exactly. that's one of the games I'm working on. That should be out uh, in October, so I'm hoping to get playtesting done this month. I've already gotten a few people, but I'm always open to more playtesters. And it, yeah, and if people really want to to jump on board and and help with that playtesting, uh, I think you've already sent me a link, so that will be in the show notes. But is there anywhere else that they can find it if they are uh, having trouble with that uh, way to get to to the playtest? Um, generally speaking, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm usually tweeting about it. Uh, I'm working on setting up a newsletter. I do have a link for people to subscribe. And uh, once I get that first issue out, the link to the uh, playtest form will be there as well. I'm trying to make sure that it's propagated through a couple of different places so people don't have to hopefully catch a tweet from me or <laughs> be in the same Discord server. I'm like, I am terminally online, but there are some hours when I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to respect yeah. those. <laughs> so, and... Uh, while that is amazing and cool, it is not the only thing that you've done or are even working on right now. Uh, if uh, our previous conversations have um, are, are correct, because I know that you were telling me about, and it's, it still lives with me in a, a very, like, a, a place in the back of my brain that I want to play it so bad, but it's uh, uh, Don't Touch the Cat. Is that yes, still you can, you, available? Yes, You Cannot Pet the Cat is still available. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the amount of people who really love You Cannot Pet the Cat is is pretty great. Um, <laughs> Can you run us through just the, the basic um, idea behind it? Because it's just, it's so funny and it's so, like, I think so relatable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's entirely based off my own life experiences as someone who is allergic to pretty much every pet. Um, but it's a two-player game. One player is the friend who's agreed to pet sit for a friend, but they're <laughs> allergic to animals. While an while the second player is uh, Mixed Cuddles, which is the cat who demands to be petted and is just not happy to be watched by this strange usurper. So um, you go through and just sort of, you know, it's, it's very role-play heavy. There are events, you know, sometimes the cat will, you know, uh, decide to mess with the furniture, your friend's priceless sweater, or maybe 
they <laughs> decide to not use the litter box. And so it's sort of this bit of a race between, you know, can you resist petting the cat and successfully pets it? Or do you, you know, succumb to how cute the cat looks and now you have to spend the rest of the evening <laughs> rubbing yourself with antihistamine cream? Amazing. Because I have certainly been there where I think, no, no, no it'll be fine. It'll just, I'll just give it one gentle rub. And then I spend the rest of the evening while everyone else is fawning over the cat, applying, you know, antihistamine cream up to my elbow. Yeah. Thinking to myself, no, this was, this, I should have resisted. <laughs> so that <laughs> is, that is available on my, on my itch page. <laughs> Amazing. And there'll also be a link to that in the, in the show notes as well. Um, what el- what other projects are you interested in or that you're doing? Um, what, what where else can people find some stuff that you're working on? Yeah, so um, also on my itch page is my one page uh, solo RPG ranchers romance. But uh, as of uh, this moment, it's uh, expanded sort of spiritual successor slash sequel. Uh, ranchers respite call of nature is also available for playtesting. This one just completely expands out the game. In addition to being able to play as the uh, the reclusive rancher from the first game, you could now also play as the newcomer who was referenced in the first game. And um, it is, uh, at a minimum, because you need a, a GM, which is the narrator in this case, mm-hmm. it's minimum two players, but you can, through some variant, add more people probably four, possibly five, it depends on how well you're good at uh, being a GM, (laughs) where both the newcomer and the rancher have their own goals and backstories. Uh, This is the game that has a sleepiness mechanic where if you uh, get a nat one, if you roll a one while trying to do a skill, you'll gain a point of sleepiness. (laughs) And if it reaches 10, you fall asleep for a while. And so... uh, Basically, when I expanded this out, it really uh, leads to more narrative decisions. You know, what happens while you're asleep? You know, is, do, do, you, do you gain more suspicion, less suspicion? Is there more solidarity? What are the townsfolk doing? Yeah. Um, I've also created templates for the town that GMs can use. It can be a high suspicion town. You know, we don't take kindly to strangers here. Right. It could be a high solidarity town where everyone pitches in and they're more than happy to help newcomers. And then I also made... Uh, one uh, version where it's just all night creatures because that is um, sort of the conceit with the reclusive rancher and why they're reclusive. They're a night creature, a supernatural being that other people shouldn't know about. But in that version of the town, everyone but the newcomer is a night creature. So (laughs) (laughs) you can sort of, if you're playing the newcomer, try to navigate that space. And I designed it entirely as a reference to the fact that um, you know, as a black person, as a person of color, frequently when designing games and doing anything, honestly, there's always that person who's like, well, if you don't like X, make your own. And yeah. that's basically the uh, impetus behind the night creature town. You know, you said you didn't want us here, so we made our own town. And right. we're not actually too keen on anyone really showing up that's going <laughs> to cause trouble or cause problems. So, right. you know, I, I'm interested to see what people will do with uh, that sort of setting. And the newcomer themselves, they also have three archetypes based off of the romance novels that my mom would read, specifically the cowboy werewolf novels. Uh, There's one version where you're a journalist, a sleep-deprived journalist. There's one where you're a weary defendant. And then there's the exhausted hunter. Nice. So each of them sort of plays to that sort of uh, romance trope. 
So, and, and in our a previous conversation we had, you were telling me that you are kind of like an expert at this because uh, your mom was so passionate about these that there was like shelves, like bookshelves full of these novels that she wouldn't allow you to like get rid of or donate or anything but she was like I, I want to read these again <laughs> yeah my mom had literal bins of romance novels but the majority of those bins were devoted to cowboy werewolves uh, a subsect <laughs> so of, of of cowboy romance that I did not realize was so prolific and varied <laughs> so so many shirtless cowboys yeah we just kept finding bin after bin after bin so many books that you know as we were cleaning out her apartment they did get donated so i hope someone stumbles upon the treasure trove <laughs> of you know of romance novels and things boy what a find I because know, i did right? try to give one of them to my friend who was helping and she was just like no absolutely not i'm good <laughs> yeah someday you're gonna be like watching antiques roadshow or something and they're gonna be like what an amazing find someone brought in 200 of the the rarest like cowboy <laughs> romance novels i've ever seen <laughs> The few pages that I would like sometimes read as I was sorting them or while my mom wasn't looking, to be fair, were pretty spicy. So I was never <laughs> allowed to read them. I was like, Mom, I'm just trying to figure out the logistics. And she'd be like, stop reading those. Those are for Mommy. Those are Mommy's books. If you want to read a romance novel, you can start with this one. It's There's there's less in here. And I'm like, less of what? And she's like, there's just less. Just, just It's a lesser version. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tamer version, more subtle. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you know, as long as it makes you happy. Right. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited for that. Uh, there's no release date yet for Rancher's Respite. I'm not sure. Might be November, might be December. Depends on how uh, the development of Pelogos goes. And mm -hmm. then the third game that I'm working on and you know, I've still been looking for playtesters for that as well, but it doesn't have a release date either, is Ostbrika, which is inspired by Swedengate, where, for people who weren't <laughs> on Twitter when that happened, uh, a lot of Swedish people just felt the need to tell people that they don't feed their guests when they come over, <laughs> which is so bizarre to me, both living in the South and being black. Like, if, yeah. if you go over to a Southern person's house and they don't offer you anything, then you've either broken in or they hate you. Like, I was but not even that, because even your worst enemy will still get a glass of tea. It might not, like, you might not get anything to go with that tea, and you'll be subtly moved out the door, but you're not gonna... Talking, yeah, I was talking to my partner about this, and she was like, what are you talking about? Who would, who would do that? Like, who wouldn't give anything to their guests? Just, just the idea of just, like, you as a guest standing there while everyone else eats. So that's basically the, um central theme of the game in hospitality versus hospitality food <laughs> chaos uh as one of the game variants you can play as an animal that has shown up to the event and um you know and unless an event happens nobody actually knows that you're an animal it's kind of like a uh Oh gosh, what is the name of that game where that guy's an octopus and has like oh, a wife Octodad? and kids? Yeah, yeah, Octo yeah, yeah. It's like that, where it's just like, can't all of you tell that this is an octopus? And it's like, yeah, no, just go mow the lawn, honey. <laughs> so it's it's very uh, high chaos from like the feedback I've gotten from other people. So I'm very yeah. excited and hopefully uh, hoping for uh, to get some feedback and some more playtesters for that so I can get that uh, released. Um, in terms of other games I'm working on, 
Uh, I know we had talked previously, and then I accidentally spoiled the entire game, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm, gl- I'm glad that, that version won't see the light of day. <laughs> uh, I'm working on a game that is set in ancient Greece and will involve ancient Greek, and that is all I will say on it, so I do not spoil the game again. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have a title at the moment because I'm working on a few other things as well. I've got I've got a few like games kind of rattling around in there. There's that one. There's one I want to make about face blindness because I have that. And then uh, there's also a board game. Board game, possibly tabletop RPG. I'm still feeling it out because I haven't yeah. worked on it again. I think it'll be a board game called Barely Awake where you play as a bear trying mm-hmm. to essentially <laughs> break into a house to uh, find a comfortable spot to sleep instead of sleeping in the woods. And so you can play as a bear or you can play as a human trying to prove that there is a bear in this house and then get the bear out of the house. So <laughs> I'm very excited. for our so. audience that like, <laughs> I've I've either taken a look at or I've ran some of like almost all of these games I've at least looked at, um, and just as a designer, I think like a, a touch point for everyone if they're like, what kind of game am I getting into with Basil's design? And it's always high chaos, really fun, and like the most like strange concepts that you're like. Like, how did someone, like, come up with that, but also immediately relatable? So, I'm like, just, everyone should just take a look, play test. It's, like, they're all very, very fun. It's worth everyone's time. Thank you. Thank you. The aesthetic I try to go for as a, as a human being is uh, peak goblin hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then so I really you... try to embody that chaotic energy. Truly, truly. And if people want to reach out to you um, to... to uh, hire you with your um consulting side of like having you read for a a game that they're developing or any of that kind of stuff where can they find you for that i know that we've talked about the twitter and i'll have you drop that handle again um but you also have your website so how can people get in touch with you if they're looking for those services yeah so um there's a couple of places uh you know again my twitter uh at kobanya kanya kana has um you know, it has my email address in there. It has a link to my portfolio and um, my website, towerofbasil.com, uh, has a page dedicated to my sensitivity consultation services. I actually just today updated the uh, profile image, so now it is uh, gayer than ever. Both Hell of the yeah. images. So if you check out my website, uh, I decided to update them to more accurately reflect my gay chaotic energy and i'm very happy with how it looks <laughs> yeah um, i took a, a spin through today it looks great and just congratulations <laughs> on all of the different things you're working on um if i was that busy i think i would pass out <laughs> yeah the joy of uh my particular adhd brain is just like i need constant stimulation like my sibling <laughs> i guess sort of you know d- ha- manages that by having a bajillion tabs but instead, I manage that by having a bajillion projects, but then also yeah. being subscribed to, like, I don't know, no less than 30 webcomics. So any <laughs> given day, something is happening that I can go look at. <laughs> yeah. I guess on that topic, and right before we close out, um, are there any uh, artists or game devs or anyone that you've been following recently that you're like, this person rocks? Like, people should pay attention to them. Yeah, so um, I would be remiss if I didn't shout out uh, one of my favorite artist friends, uh, Birdie Blake, um, whose 
handle on Twitter is unfortunately escaping me, but <laughs> they uh, have a webcomic, which, of course, the name of... I need to... Okay, it's the Magical Freelancers Guild. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Amazing. Birdie, they've been such a cool friend. We met in a Discord server... Um, they actually drew me a new profile image for Discord. It's so cute. I have a little mushroom hat on, Hell and yeah. it's entirely my style. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. I love talking to Birdie. Um, and then also uh, someone who has been helping me from the very beginning to give feedback on pretty much any game I've ever made, uh, Enio, whose Twitter handle, I believe, is at Enio underscore RPG. But um, he's been great, and they've helped me out a lot Uh and then in terms of games that I'm excited for, that I actually remembered to wishlist on Steam this time, uh, <laughs> one of them is uh, Spirit Swap. It's a match-three uh, lofi hip-hop game. Uh, definitely excited for that to come out. Uh, validate Singles in Your Area. That is coming out this month, I believe. Um, and I'm excited for that because I love... Dating Sims, visual novels. I know I talked about that before, how, you know, I pretty much play any dating sim that's out there. You know, like the Grunkle Stan dating sim. (laughs) Which, I say Grunkle Stan, but you can also date his brother. Yeah. You know, I did that too. The path was a little confusing sometimes, but I was like, I am determined to get the perfect score on both of these Grunkles. Yeah, if you (laughs) want to go for a higher achieving Grunkle, the the option is there. (laughs) It's like Ford is also there if you wanna if you wanna go the turbo nerd route. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of dating Sims, another one, um, Our Life Beginning and Always. Uh, I, all of the DLC is just about out except for two of the other romanceables, but you can romance the main person. Uh, the wedding DLC is out. Still have not played that yet. Need to. Very excited. Um, what other? What other games? Uh, they were going to have a Kickstarter in October, but it's been moved to next year. But definitely keep an eye out for All the Witches, which is a uh, tabletop RPG where you get to play as a witch and they're dealing with like corruption and everything. The entire cool. premise sounds so fascinating. They've been uh, announcing all the people on the team and it's just been like a cool band of people. Um one of our co-hosts is like really ups- like just really loves that kind of idea uh, of stuff because he really really wants to to run a game. He calls it Oops All Warlocks, but it's just a bunch <laughs> of like nuns that have run away and have instead become a coven of witches. <laughs> and I'm nice. very excited for that too, so it'll be right up his alley. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's just there's there's so many games and cool things coming out that we'd probably be here forever talking mm-hmm. about um, all of them. I'm trying to think of any other ones that really. Uh... And it's no worries if you yeah, can't there's... think of more because I'm almost a hundred percent sure we'll have you back on sometime either when you <laughs> release one of your next projects or to talk to you again about another topic. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. This has been such an interesting conversation. I think that this side of the industry uh, is just totally uh, like not really known about or it is uh, overlooked in so many ways. So thank you for coming on and telling us a little bit about what you do and all of the games that you're developing. And we'll talk to you soon. 
yeah, I was happy to be on and happy to, you know, have this experience and be able to chat with you about all sorts of things. And I would definitely, <laughs> you know, be down to get, come back on the show and talk about other stuff. <laughs> Honestly, we should just have like a Resident Evil retrospective at some point because uh, we were oh, deep, I would be, deep diving I'd into be, it. <laughs> I would be so down for that. Although definitely Resident Evil 7 would just be me going, Ethan, no, Ethan, why? Don't touch that. Don't and do boy. It. It's clear he does not have a mold allergy because just getting close enough to that house would send me into an asthma attack. I know. It's like, man, and also uh, his, you know, preservation instincts are very low. No, it's like, let's <laughs> let's go into this room that's clearly a saw trap. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. now I have to figure out how to get out. It's like, stop touching things. There's yeah, a it's... stick right there. Don't use your hand. Yeah, it turns out that, like, uh, the the biggest underlooked factor in the Saw movies was that it was uh, almost unavoidable. Uh, no one would have known that they were in a trap that was, like, hanging off of their head unless Jigsaw was like, hey, I'm about to try to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon, Basil. Thank you for coming on Tabletop. Yeah. All right, see ya. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Tabletop. This show is available wherever you find your podcasts. Tabletop is supported by our amazing sponsors and listeners like you. Check out our website at tabletoppod.com for links to our Patreon if you want to support us financially, and our Discord server, which is totally free and a way for you to talk with the community as well as the hosts of Tabletop. You can also find upcoming episodes and guest details on our website, so feel free to swing by and check it out. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Tabletops, and everybody, if you could do a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, it helps the show find its audience, and I am forever grateful. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode, and have a great week.